Slime Welcome to the Climates Travel episode. This year I had 100 conversations about the climate emergency with anyone who would talk to me, and many of my climates talked about travel. I deliberately didn't travel anywhere far for these conversations. A couple of times I cycled across town. Some took place in my living room, but most of them took place on the phone or via Skype, which does mean that the sound quality varies, so please bear with us. If you're lucky, you may also hear my baby daughter, who was often on my lap while I recorded, and watch out for the occasional swear word. I have a three-year-old who is really excited by vehicles. Construction vehicles, diggers, tractors, cars, trains, planes, helicopters. It's the books and toys that he's drawn to, and I've picked up the enthusiasm. I'm always on the lookout to spot a plane. The other day we saw a helicopter take off and it was all we talked about for days. But I've started to see it through a new lens. Are we conditioned to think of travel as sexy? So many people I know on social media are quiet for a year and then suddenly we are flooded with holiday pictures for a week. Travel is aspirational, exciting, what we work towards, save up for, and we talk about needing to get away. So let's chat about it. This might get a bit uncomfortable. I'm imagining most people listening to this will have either flown somewhere recently or have a holiday booked. It's normal among those who can afford it. But come with me for the journey. Keep your seatbelt buckled in case of turbulence. Emergency exits are at the rear and fit your own oxygen mask before helping others. Here we go. Here's a clip of Lizzie, which we already played in episode two, but I'm going to play it again because I think it's really relevant to this part of the conversation. Cars help people with mobility issues to participate fully in life, and I, for one, would like to see that protected. One of the the struggles that I've had, like in the last, well, I guess five years, is the trying to uh, reconcile saving the planet versus like accessibility needs because I can't walk very well like I drive a lot more because I can't I can't walk as far and I feel really guilty about that and then when I was using a power chair like that's that's using up an incredible amount of electricity um, and I think there's lots of things that are disabled friendly that are environmentally unfriendly and it's a really difficult thing to reconcile because you don't like disabled people shouldn't be the first person first people to pay the price for saving the planet and helping with climate change but ha- having been through it sort of as, as a disabled person and as a carer of a disabled person it's yeah it's a difficult it's really hard to kind of work out at what point you go well do you know what this person's comfort level is more important everybody thinks about it and especially things like cars and energy it's like yeah no some people still need to get in cars yeah it's okay and i think maybe that need, i don't know i don't know what the answer is going to say but more a little bit more acknowledgement from both sides so kind of less guilting of disabled people for using a car more um or you know all that kind of thing but then also somehow maybe working with disabled groups to see 
what changes they can make without without being guilted and without feeling like that somehow their responsibility to make up for the impact that they're having. Um, I think it's always about talking to the talking to the groups and talking with the people that is actually affecting rather than kind of trying to come off as preachy. Even just stuff like driving at sixty is really fuel efficient. Yeah. Like when Dan's brother came up, instead of using a whole tank of petrol, this time he drove at sixty and he did the same journey in three quarters of a tank. And it's like but that but it took an extra forty minutes. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah. When we say we do things because they're convenient, yeah. that's a really important social driver that convenience is really important to us. We want to go places more e- easily, more quickly. Um, we want less distractions. Uh, we like things to be easy. So we don't want to cycle because it's hard work. <laughs> you get wet if it rains, so we have cars cars where you don't expend any physical energy you're nice and dry and you listen to the radio i try and work from home once a week Um, already that reduces like that flexibility is really important yeah but there is still a mentality in the office that you know you hear people say oh you're off tomorrow i'm not off i'm working from home there is a difference i'm still working i'm just in a different physical location come on guys we work in it we are the 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 champions of technology in this business use it we have got so many alternatives for communication and like we've talked about before face-to-face communication is invaluable especially if you're crossing any sort of cultural barriers where you need to be able to see people to read their body language to understand the things that that perhaps language alone doesn't deliver but if you're working with people that you know you're working in an environment where the the context of the conversations is common you know there's not going to be any challenging bits then use skype use teams use you know just use the bloody telephone we do really have lots of solutions uh like the solutions exist already the bicycle's been around for 150 years and if we just it's not the only thing we need to do but it's a huge starting point is to get people out of cars because transport road transport is one of the single biggest causes of pollution in the uk Uh, in scotland it's 37 percent of carbon emissions come from uh transport sector and within that the the largest transport the largest mode of transport in terms of carbon emissions is road transport so it's um it's kind of looking at where we can have the biggest impact and it is Right now, it's, it's transport. I see so many people who just automatically assume that the easiest way to get around is just to jump in their car and drive two miles down the road to the shops. Because on the one hand, to a certain extent, it is the easiest way because we've pumped huge amounts of money into our road system to make it relatively easy to get around. But for shorter journeys like that, and I think the majority of car journeys in cities are less than three miles. I can't remember the exact figures. Um, like for shorter journeys like that, it's not actually the easiest way to get around. It's just people's default way of getting around. Um, because the huge amount of um, congestion means that traveling around by car the city center is slow. It's not an easy way to get around. I don't have a car. 
and I kind of made the decision that um, I won't learn to drive or get a car unless I absolutely have to, unless it is like totally unavoidable. I mean, I can remember when there was a big campaign to get rid of lead out of petrol. And people said, oh, that can't be done, it can't be done. And the government said, well, we're going to do it because it's poisoning children. And so they they just did it. And over you know a period of about maybe five years, they just phased it out. They made lead petrol less available and people got changes to their cars. And, and now nobody would think of putting lead in petrol. Um, they have like um, money car share up here where you can hire whatever kind of car suits your purpose. So if you've just got a wee trip to do into town, you can take an electric car, um, you know, like a fully electric car. And then for other trips, longer trips, there's you know, the hybrids and things like that you can use. But would so, you have it at your house or how would you pick it up? No, that's the problem with where we are is you can't, you wouldn't be able to do that. You need to work out some way of getting to the car <laughs> yeah because uh, you can't bike where you are can you well people do it just makes me really nervous because we're directly across from a distillery so all the big trucks coming in and out you know there's loads the, the road that we're on is like 60 miles an hour and it's a uh, yeah, there's loads of trucks and there's loads of people that absolutely fly along it. And I'm not a, a confident, I've never been a confident cyclist. Yeah. So, but, but saying that, though, there are back roads. Um, so I, I need to work out how to do it with the dog as well, whether we need to get her a little basket, which would just be insanely cute. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe worth doing just for that purpose but actually the, the biggest polluter is the van um, but then again it's like well what we do is we, we use that for holidays so we're not going we're not flying yeah does that work we're not flying or we're not um, yeah we're still able to go places don't know if it works in terms of whether it'd be better for the environment to stay in hotels than it would be to stay in a van. What's better for the environment? What is the solution for rural living? Is it that people don't live as rurally? Or that the... Yeah, what, what is the solution? I don't know. You, you have to have a solution, Hazel. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're all counting on you. <laughs> what is the solution for people who live rurally? Um, uh, I don't know if you remember the fuel strikes of about 10 years ago where people were complaining about fuels, uh, petrol going up and they did sort of go slows on the motorway and things and they blockaded refineries. And people weren't quite sure what to do. And the government sort of caved and said that the fuel price escalated the way that it increased fuel each year um, by a little bit, so people would know the fuel's getting more expensive. Um, uh, the government stopped that because it was unpopular with these people. What we need to do is to say, as a society, we will pay the price. I would accept, you know, the price of petrol going up to, say, three, three quid a litre, and, or, or better still, put up 
now on. So say, really, you've got to think twice about getting a car, and if you do, you're going to get a smaller and more fuel-efficient car. I keep thinking about the, um, the like, warnings on cigarette packets. So the prices of cigarettes did go up, but there was also massive public campaigns about, um, you know, with with sort of horrifying pictures and statistics that people didn't know and kind of the truth about smoking and it's still the case that some people do choose to smoke but on the whole it's not just accepted as part of our society anymore it's not um people don't do it in offices and they don't do it on buses and i just kind of think with fuel i wonder if it's something like that and i, I wonder if, if you think having like warnings on petrol stations about air pollution i read the other day that like five times as many people die from air pollution related illnesses as die in car accidents for example which i didn't know until i read that and i'm you know i think that quite shocking and I, if i saw something like that as i was filling my car up i might think oh hmm, maybe i should find a different route <laughs> Smoking is a good example because you know I remember you know very young anti-smoking campaigns and you know I, when I was at school about I think about fifty percent of the population smoked. I had lots of friends who smoked um, when I was younger and now honestly I've got a tiny number of my friends smoke. The campaign against smoking really only took off when people were. At people became aware of the dangers of second-hand smoke. And when suddenly it wasn't about your freedom to smoke, but basically my freedom to not get cancer from your smoke, that then it became a big thing. Because then I was now in a position of basically saying, no, sorry, you can't smoke around me because you are going to give me cancer. You are fully in your own rights give yourself cancer, but you have no right to give it to other people. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to smoke, you have to go outside. Yeah. And until we get to that point, until we get to the point where I, as someone who no longer owns a car and, and will only use a car when I have to because there's no other way of doing it, have, can turn around to like all the, resident, <laughs> all the residents on my street who basically are, you know, are lined up on either side with their resident parking permit. And it's only when I can turn around to them and say, no, 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 you have no, what you are doing is destroying my planet. You don't have the right to do that. I mean, if you yeah. think about places like, you know, places in Belgium where, and, and Holland, where cars are not allowed in the city at all. Like mm -hmm. some exceptions for blue badge holders. Michael. Absolutely. There's, there's always going to be but, exceptions for blue badge then, holders. Yeah. Um, but, but by the same token, that doesn't mean they need to own a car. That's true. I mean, they could taxi. They could taxi it. They could. They, you know, if 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 we didn't have if we didn't have to make all the provisions we do for car owners, you could actually have a fleet of blue badge things that are available, like Uber for heaven's sake. Yeah. Just call one up. I mean, what and and make it available for free. Yeah. yeah so there's 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 always ways around it. We are going to have to change the system such that we are not dependent on, on individuals owning cars for things to happen. So that village shops that have closed down need to come back. Um, more local kind of 
shops that aren't that don't require or that aren't dependent on vast distribution networks with huge warehouses, um, all of that kind of stuff. Much more lo local, locally grown, locally sold, locally purchased stuff. We've made the car this great symbol of yeah of individualism and freedom. Um, we've made it a rite of passage, getting your yeah. license. You know, it's now sort of like. Yeah. Uh, we've made it a point of equality, you know, women being able to drive. You can look at what's taking place in, mm. in Saudi Arabia, the right for women to drive themselves. If we really wanted to be radical, if you wanted to be radical socialists and drive a radical agenda, you do what Extreme Rebellion are doing and basically shut down London, or you'd go around and on every single car, you'd, part, you, you know, you'd slap a sticker or paint on it that basically said climate traitor on it. And you basically get people thinking that I can't drive my car anymore. It's got to be that, right? You've got to find people who are willing to make enemies and make people feel uncomfortable. And, and I don't see that. I don't, even amongst the most radical, I mean, even amongst Extinction Rebellion, I don't see them wanting to, to turn... And I can understand why. I mean, you don't want to make yeah. it divisive. You don't want to make it's people who drive cars feel like they're... But they are. I mean, effectively, they are. Everyone who's driving a petrol car at the moment shouldn't be. When you talk about the environmental impact of cars, one of the things that comes up a lot is that we should switch to electric cars. But I'm not sure that that's the answer. Here's what a few folk have been saying about that. Because right now, I, I would love an electric car, but I couldn't afford one. I don't see why the money hasn't been spent on the technology to improve electric cars so that you've got a greater distance and things to go and that there's more charging points and quicker charging points. Um, kind of the hag and chicken story where, where of course like the infrastructure needs to be there a charging infrastructure needs to be there uh, for the electrification of uh, vehicles and uh, internal combustion engine to happen and of course for the infrastructure to be there there is also a need of, uh, of people to have electric vehicles in Norway electric vehicles are really common as they were quite heavily incentivized at the beginning and she said in Oslo, it's about two thirds electric cars and it's done amazing things for the um, air quality. But people generally just have a second car that they use for longer journeys or they feel justified in using their car in the city because it's an electric car or and it just creates a whole different or similar but different problems. If every car went to electric, I'm not sure we'd be able to generate enough electricity for it. Uh, although I read somewhere that a lot of the pollution, a lot of the particulates in the air, come from uh, the brake blocks and sometimes even from the tyres. Moves like mass electrification has incredible hidden implications. For example, for Britain alone to meet its climate change targets by 2050 for the for the um, UK as a whole 2045 in Scotland means that every year this country would have to import the equivalent of the entire 
European consumption of cobalt just to make the electric motors and all the rest of it that go into um, having an electrified economy, not to mention all the rare earth materials and so on. That's why the specialists are calling it a wicked problem. And a wicked problem in sociology is a problem that whatever way you look at it, there's no obvious way out. As technology gets more efficient and saves carbon, we yes. use it more. So that this is like a, a debated theory, but it kind of makes sense to me. So, for example, marketing, like you used to just be able to get stuff through the post and now you can get spam emails. And a spam email is a lot less carbon than like a, um, a leaflet. Yes. But because of that, you get 100 emails for the effort. Like in the past, people would really have only targeted. And the 100 emails use that more carbon than one spam. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, and this is the idea. So like electric cars and, and driverless vehicles even though they use less carbon because of that we don't think as much about the fact that we use them so we'll be like oh yeah just drive all the time deliver everything one by one you know there's no yeah. driver there's no time cost in that so you would end up actually using more carbon so every time there's been an invention that has made it more efficient made there's never been a drop in carbon use like we've still used more and more and more and more and more each time I'd never even thought of that. No, me neither. That makes so much sense. Because then if you're not, if you know that it's less carbon, you're like, oh, if I use it more, it doesn't matter. But then you'll use it more than you would use the carbon, big carbon things. But then if you have the big carbon things, you'd be so much more aware of it, so you'd use it so much less. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's crazy. So it, that really sort of demonstrates that you need to make a change internally mm -hmm. and consciously rather than um, using inventions. It's not to say that we shouldn't invent things that reduce our carbon use, but that's not going to save us. Yes, yeah, it's still limiting your use of the limited carbon it is. People talk about electric cars a lot and I'm a bit like, meh about electric cars because it's still a car it still means that people are just sitting around not getting any exercise and it's still causing congestion and it's still causing air pollution from the brakes and the tires um but electric bikes i think really can be transformational because i've never seen anyone try one out for the first time and get off the bike and not have a huge smile on their face it's really it's like it's a fun way of getting around and it really enhances mobility for so many people who wouldn't usually cycle so you know if you're if you're a pensioner and you're not quite as fit as you used to be, you can get on an electric bike and still get around really easily. Um, and it's one of the things I've been really pleased to see is um, Councillor Leslie McInnes in Edinburgh, who's a transport convener. She, when she first took the job, um, got, an, got herself an electric bike and she cycles everywhere now. And she doesn't, you know, she never saw herself as a cyclist, but electric bike has really enabled her to kind of make that change because you don't need to be super fit to get around with a with a load on the back it's it's just you cycle along normally you just get like a little electric push and they're, they're, so, they're so fun to ride it's, it's fantastic okay i'm gonna try one um i mean any bike lots of bike shops will have them and let you try one for free
I did try an e-cargo bike and I feel really lucky to tell you that we now own one. It is a lot of fun. I'm still a bit nervous about it, but I'm really warming up to the world of bikes. Because it's where my interest in sustainability matches up with my interest in improving physical health and getting people active. Because walking is likely to have so many fantastic benefits, not just for the environment, but in terms of yeah, getting people more active and building, building physical activity into their everyday lives rather than having people drive to a gym to go and be active. You know, We should be just making it easier for people to, to cycle to work. And I, I cycle to work every day, pretty much, and that half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening makes it so much like I, I get to work and I feel so much less stressed because there's all the mental health benefits of physical activity as well um, I'm not spending loads of money on a car or on a bus pass it's just there's, there's something which caught my imagination about cycling and walking as being like one of the very few silver bullets we have in the world where we can solve Scotland's obesity crisis and we can save people loads of money and we can improve people's mental well-being and reduce their stress and also it happens to reduce the carbon emissions we get from transport as well which is just like a nice added bonus so one thing i really like about cycling and walking is that if you bump into someone you know you can just stop and have a chat like it's a much more sociable way of getting a much more sociable way of getting around whereas if you're driving past and you see if you're driving, driving around and you see someone else you know driving around you can't just stop and have a chat you know there's there's a physical barrier between you it's you're kind of isolated in your little mobile sitting room um, mobile steering powered by explosions, which is basically what a car is. Yeah, now I work for um, Cycling UK in Scotland as the campaigns and policy manager. So what we, we have quite a lot of projects scattered around Scotland and what we try to do is, you know, our main vision is to get more people on bikes and to, and to try to aim at the most disadvantaged members of society and, 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 and children who find it hard to get on bikes disabled people, um, older people who may have cycled once but don't feel they can now, but now e-bikes are available yeah, and that sort of thing. So they can really, yeah, they can really do it <laughs> in places like Edinburgh where it's tough. We can have policies which encourage people out of their cars. We can also have, um, you know, sort of, so we can raise awareness. We can also have more of the sticks which sort of like penalise people for using their cars, like for fuel duty, or we can you know do road congestion charging to sort of get people out of their car because it costs too much. But we need to replace it with something, and that's where cycling comes in. So we need to make our cities, especially where lots of us live in big cities, much more conducive so that people feel safe on the roads. That's the sort of thing that we want to do. So at the moment, there's so much traffic and congestion that even the thought of getting on your bike and cycling into town can feel very daunting for a yeah. lot of people. Especially with kids. Yeah. And... So we need those roads to become safe spaces and segregated for cycling. We need more bus lanes. Um, and we need better bus systems. And Edinburgh's fantastic. It's got a good bus system. But Glasgow's pretty terrible. Mm. But it has a good train system. Yeah. So we need to get all of those things right. We need to redesign our centres. And we need to redesign our cities. Much less focused on cars, but more on people walking, cycling, um, public transport. And then, if we do that, then society can, as well as using um, you know, the, the stick and the carrot approach, uh, we can also do the, use the tambourine, which is like celebrating people for cycling. And we can also use the sort of peer pressure approach, which is the opposite of that, which is like saying, you know, it gives us the chance to say to our friends, 
Or why are you getting in the car to go to the shop when there's a really good cycle lane? Everyone's cycling these days, didn't you know it's easy? And then it makes people feel like, oh, I can be part of the solution. So, like, I, I try to lead by example, and, like, I cycle mainly to school, and I, like, I'm very visible about cycling to school, and I talk to kids about it. I've been cycling everywhere. It's been so much fun. Yeah, good. I uh, got my... I, I just, like... I don't know, something shifted in my brain where I was like, you just need to put in the effort to be a bit more bold about going out when it's raining because it's going to be winter soon and you need to get used to it cycling in the rain before it's also really, really cold and dark. <laughs> and so the last like month and a half of just everywhere I've needed to go, I've cycled pretty much. And I was, I mean, I also was lucky because I was working in the same place for three weeks in a row. So I like was able to like work out a route and then know how to get there. And like even on the days when it was absolutely peeing down with rain, I just put on my waterproof trousers and I went on my bike anyway and I felt really proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been really good getting bolder about cycling on the roads for me. Like feeling more confident. Not bold in a like an aggressive way, just like being like, I know where uh, positionally it's good for me to be and I know like what my rights are as a cyclist yeah and that and I'm not yeah I'm not aggressive and I'm not rude about it and actually a lot of the time I'm I'm also thinking like if I was in a car what's clearest to me like you know like that thing where you like go through somewhere and you're like actually there's not enough room for a car to overtake me so I'm just going to go in the middle of the road yeah. so that the car doesn't have to do that thing of like, could I get past? Could I not get past? It's like, no, you can't get past. I've made that decision for us and I'm going to pull back in as soon as I can. But right now you can't get past me and neither of us need to worry about that. I've made that decision. Like, so just don't bother. I'm in the middle of the road. If you try and go past me, you will knock me over. <laughs> and that's been really, I don't know, there's something really empowering because it, it also feels like it's not an aggressive move towards a driver. It's just a clear signal of like, I'm going to move back in once there's space. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that as a, like if I was in the car, that would, I would feel like, I would feel put at ease by that. Yeah. I'd be like, that person knows what they're doing. They're confident and I will wait until they get, like, you know, I feel like there's something, it's about being considerate on all. I've been out on a couple of like Saturday morning led rides and it, it means that somebody at the front is super confident about where to position themselves on the road. You, like they've given us like they usually do like a little like remember to check these things with about your bike and like we're gonna it's just going for a bike ride together but there's it, it's totally boosted my confidence for when I'm out by myself and like especially on like positionally where I need to be on the road okay I think I'm gonna try and do that as an action that's good I saw a guy the other day on a one wheel and I was like there's the future we've got it have you seen them like skateboards yeah. with like one wheels in the middle <laughs> yeah impossible to stand on I've never tried. <laughs> and then they have those electric scooters, which they've made illegal, but that hasn't stopped people buying them. But oh, really? I've not heard about them. My son has a scooter, it's brilliant. The little electric ones? Oh, yeah? So, you know, like, Just Eat Cycles? Yeah. So, in the States, this is, like, all over the States, they have electric scooters instead, which are rented, just like Just Eats, so that you don't own them, you just rent them. Um... But the problem with that is they don't have charging points because basically you're supposed to, if you have rented it, you're supposed to recharge it in your house and then put it back on the street. So they're just on the street. 
made a decision that if it's anywhere that we can't cycle to within a reasonable time, and that means all of us, then we're not doing it during the week, you know, uh, or at the weekend even, um, because I'm like, we need to keep our lives a bit local because during the summer holidays, for example, the traffic in Bristol massively reduces. And you realize that a lot of the traffic in Bristol is people driving their kids to school, um, picking them up again. And, you know, some of them might be able to walk it if they were just going home, but it's because they're going all the way to the swimming pool and back. And, you know, they're adding in all these extra clubs and activities, which means they have to take their car because it's so far away they wouldn't make it on time or the kids would be too tired. And I just think this is so counterproductive. Like, why are we doing this? Like, and also, you know, our, my kids cycle home, so they get their exercise on the way home. And, um, yeah, I think we really need to sort of reassess a lot of these things. But then, at the same time, there I, there I start feeling guilty that I'm like, oh, no, they don't, they're not as good at swimming as everybody else, you know? Typical mum guilt. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure so in, well. I'm so in support of that idea, though. Cycle, cycle, life is a cycle. Okay, so what about flying then? Did you see there was a thing recently about how um, off the back of Greta Thunberg, the Swedes are flying less, and there's a new word in Swedish called uh, flying shame, flugsham, that's, that's appeared, this kind of, oh, I'm, I'm taking a flight to Mallorca, and I've got flugsham about it. I, I think shame shaming people to me is it, it might work on a sort of superficial short term level but it doesn't feel like the right solution I feel like the solutions often to be much more they have to be deeper people have to feel like they're changing themselves and I think if you if you shame somebody about something like flying they're just not going to tell you or they're going to resent you for it or I don't know there's something about shaming that I find really unhelpful well that plane's leaving anyway yeah the seat would be empty if I wasn't on it yeah it's going to leave with or without me so I might as well just be on it yeah I'm not sure that one stands up Is about the demand for the plane ticket, right? I like different cultures. So, like, I like to go to somewhere where I don't know, like, where I can try different foods and, like, like people behave completely differently. And um, so I suppose that's why I want to go. Where does that come from? That's interesting. Oh, yeah. And maybe it's from growing up on an island, because I did always want to... Because it was that thing of that there was that the rest of the world was happening and you were like stuck here. Yeah, travel's really important. The world should be getting smaller. We should be getting more connected. We should know more about the people that we share the planet with. We, we should, we should be sharing more and engaging more. And air travel allows us to do that. It allows us to work in countries that are twelve-hour flights away. So stopping air travel, to me, isn't the answer. Finding a better alternative is, because the end result of flying is 
in terms of the social engagement and the the better relationships with global relationships that's that's really important and we shouldn't just I do fly to see people mm-hmm. um i probably go to sweden once a year maybe twice uh at the moment i've been going to israel twice a year um i met up with a friend in singapore for a weekend um i i do travel probably more than than most people do um but i'm i'm definitely one of the people who would say i'm not going to give up flying so find an alternative you know find a, a sustainable alternative that allows me to still do it and i think because i've done it for work there have got to be businesses out there who recognize the importance of being able to fly we just all need to start saying it's important to find a way to do it what if it was like really heavily taxed and unaffordable yeah i'd still do it i'd still put my money towards travel over and above everything else it's it's my favorite thing to do is to travel where do you think that comes from i do think that it is it is inherited to a degree um my parents were both in the air force they both traveled around a lot um we moved house moved areas you know moved across the country when i was a child um but i think it, it, it just comes from curiosity i I love nothing better than being in a different world. And you can be in a different world on the same planet. If you go to a market in India or uh, a temple in Tibet, the temples in Tibet felt like you really could be on another planet. You you can travel the world and it's like episodes of Star Trek. You You get to see different landscapes, but you get to see really, really different cultures different ways of living different ceremonies different artifacts different just so much diversity and adventure and i i won't give that up do you think it's addictive very much so very much so the the you know the phrase of having itchy feet uh, it, it's almost a physical itch um i can spend hours days looking at where I'm going to go next planning my next trip and I usually have about four destinations in mind at any given time that I'm researching and daydreaming about and you know looking at flight prices um and then invariably I'll see a really good flight deal and I'll just go somewhere completely random that I wasn't planning to go to at all um but at the moment I've got uh, I'm going to Japan in April um I want to go to Hawaii and Colombia is on well, in the top three at the moment and um it's kind of a part of your identity it is it is yeah you've always talked about I love travel. it I find it extremely alien that people don't want to travel, that they don't want to experience that diversity. Um, it also scares me a little bit because it it doesn't give you the breadth of experience to know that, that 
people are different, the world is different. I think slowing down, we risk losing a lot. You know, I, I love the vision of the future that comes with, with Star Trek. You know, the idea that, that we are able to travel the universe. You know, if I want to travel the planet, imagine my elation at the idea of traveling the universe. Um, I, I actually went to Iceland this summer. It was a very rare opportunity to go. And I flew. And I feel so conflicted about that choice um, with the work that I've been doing. And then you hear news like, it takes as much carbon to produce a leg of lamb as it does to fly to New York. Like, I mean, growing up, flying was a bit of an expense. Uh, flying was a bit of a luxury. You didn't do it very often. And it was a big part of the expense. So sort of this idea that you can fly from Edinburgh to Nice for, you know, 70, 80 quid. I mean, at one level, it's fantastic. It's lovely to go to Nice from Edinburgh. It's lovely. But it's probably not sustainable for the environment. I think I think if people flew less, there would be things like better buses and better trains. And there used to be a ferry from Recife to Zeebrugge, uh, which I went on once. It was lovely. I mean, I'm Irish and I fly home to my family when I can as well. And so I am going to be someone who's going to be doing those flights, but you can assess them um, to a certain degree, obviously not doing them as best, but there is like... Climate Care, this website, I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't, no. Um, so it's like you put in, you go to Climate Care uh, website and you can put in your starting destination and your end destination, your flight, and it calculates the carbon that's emitted as a result of that and it then turns that into a monetary value. So I know for our flight from Edinburgh to Berlin that that worked out at five pound extra five pound uh per person uh in terms of our carbon emissions and then it gives you um this whole raft of um suggestions as to what we're up to do with that five pounds you know so now you know that it's five pounds but what can you do to <laughs> reduce your carbon output and it's like they've got all these like uh grassroots kind of um environmental uh, projects uh, in different parts of the world where you can put the five pounds into that so it would help maybe uh, make a village in some part of the world more like get more solar panels or um, I can't remember half of them but there was just so many <coughs> suggestions and you could literally donate your money directly via them and their money goes into all these good projects basically I mean that sounds so that, that sounds great like that sounds really good five pounds yeah. really isn't very much so I'm surprised yeah, it's, it's not, so but, low yeah I, I, I was relieved <laughs> to yeah. be honest I was like well I'm going to do this from now on but I hope it's not too much but it, that's because it was a short flight I suppose you know it just worries me though that people will then just do it without thinking and and we do have to radically reduce the amount of flights we take that has to happen no i was chatting with my my cousin yesterday and her mum's not very well and her mum lives in france and you know for the last 10 years she tried she's been like i've only taken one flight a year and already this year she's flown to france and she's going to go again next week and it's like well yeah of course and i'm not gonna like 
there's a line as well of like being like yeah that you don't know how much time you've got left to be able to go and do that so you can't maybe you can't wait another year to t- do another flight when we say you know air transportation needs to be severely curbed what does that actually mean well it doesn't mean that you need to not go on your one annual holiday what it means is that the 17% of people who are responsible for 90% of flights, the real frequent flyers, need to find another way of doing that. Is that seat that takes one of my company's employees down to Africa really anything to do with my personal carbon footprint? I don't know. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. It's really complicated, isn't it? So, I mean, there is guilt there because it's like, well, I I know the damage that all this is doing, but it's my job. I have to do it. Um, I want to get my organisation to commit to a no-fly policy, which I think is going to be an uphill struggle. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how much flying do they do? Well, most people don't do any, but the... Scotland director flies to London like every other week. Really? Yeah. What? I know, which really, really, really enrages me because I'm like, it's the same time as getting the train. Like, even fly free for a year? Yeah. And then you would see whether you really needed to or not? Yeah. Or like taking the money you would have spent on flying and investing in better video conferencing. In my organisation, everyone's like, oh, you should go down to London because it's so much better to meet people in person. It's like, yes, it is, but we need to move away from that kind of um, avenue of thought and just learn to <laughs> interact better over the internet. Like, I think there's, in terms of like holidays, there's definitely a kind of addiction to going somewhere far away. I even think with work, though, it's people, like, and they do all the frequent flyer stuff. Oh, and yeah, it's gross. It is, and I think... People feel important because they're flying and That's they feel, um, yeah, like, it, certainly when I was, like, looking at careers and things, it's definitely a real perk if you got to travel a lot, even if it's just to London. Mm, and if true. you got to travel comfortably, um, your company was spending money on you, you were, you were one of the important people that gets to jet set around and it was sexy and, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I wonder why there's this, like attitude that flying is getting around comfortably most of the time I mean I think flying is grim <laughs> it's, it's awful airports are the worst places in the world yeah it's true they're horrific there's a conference that I was accepted to uh to present in Austria and the folks there said you know if you're willing we'd really appreciate for you to stay in your home country and then give your presentation virtually which a lot of people have agreed to, and, and I'm going to do that just through, like, FaceTime or whatever um, so that so that it'll use less of the fuel and all the resources for hotel stays and ground transportation and food and all that over there. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just, you know, sort of a hodgepodge of, of, uh, of willingness to adapt. Cool. Like, and that, I feel like that is, the, that is the answer at this point, but, like... Oh sort of had to like craft an email being like this looks like an amazing opportunity but at the moment I can't justify the environmental impact of flying I've recently taken a really long haul flight and I feel awful about it and like I can't 
willingly choose to try and do that again at the moment. And I think it's about trying to sort of like not like do that and not be judgmental about it because yeah. I don't think that's helpful either. What I find so important is the reason I still travel and I still fly in my work because I get invited to do things internationally and I choose to fly in order that I can do that because to travel by train or whatever would be more wear and tear that I would be able to sustain on an ongoing basis. The reason I do that is that the personal connection is so important. You can connect so far over the internet in an impersonal way, but actually being with a person, being sensitive to their body language, being sensitive to the nuances in their face, to being sensitive to the ways in which you can be moved to speak to their condition is hugely important. So don't underestimate those small gatherings late at night in a storytelling session. And I actually think that is a huge part of what people need to overcome consumerism, that they need to reconnect with real presence, real presence, real community one with another. I have done all these things of me to tell people, oh, you shouldn't fly to, I don't know, the Far East or something. You know, when they say, well, you've done it quite a few times, so why, sh why shouldn't I do it? And I'm well away and come across as a bit hypocritical about it. I mean, now I'm very happy to travel in, uh, for a lot of myself, I'm happy to travel in Britain. I think there's amazing things to see in Britain. Uh, but, you know, if I only had two weeks a year, I might want to go somewhere for a bit more sun. Or I've never been to these places before. I mean, probably most people remember their first foreign holiday as really exciting. And I think travel does broaden the mind. Where, you know, they want to tax flying, so or tax frequent flyers so the more flights you make the more you pay um which sounds like a really good idea but they're saying but then what they also want to do is make use some of that money to make the first flight for people without with less money more affordable so it's kind of it's all tied up it's not it's not completely about the environment it's all about it's about their attack on um rich people <laughs> And so it's almost like slightly counterproductive, those two things. There's no tax on air, uh, on airplane fuel. There's no VAT on ticket sales. Um, so, yeah, it's... Whereas, you know, train travel's really unfortunately expensive, but it is, it is a very pleasurable way to go. I think if you slow down a little bit and enjoy... Like, no, I don't think anyone really actually enjoys the flight part of travelling. It's cramped, it's crowded, you're, on, you're in a tiny metal tube hurtling through the air. It's kind of scary when you think about it, whereas um, train travel is a bit slower and but I think much more enjoyable because you can relax, um, you get to see the views as you kind of trundle through the countryside. It's, if you think about it as part of a holiday, I think it can be very enjoyable. So if bikes are the alternative to cars, What's the alternative to flying? Well, because I started with my mum about this, like, three days ago, because I was booking tickets to go see my granny in London, or, like, in Hastings, and we were talking about it made more sense for me to get the trainer to fly, because, obviously, flying to London is so much cheaper and faster, 
and but then we both came to the decision that like I don't need to fly I can just get the train it's like so much better for the environment and we both came to the like conclusion that if there's no point in flying if you can get a train there we don't think because like the only time the only times that we fly is when we go to Canada because there's no other way of getting there I don't think I mean maybe you could get a boat that would take like three months yeah, I mean, it's, like, double the price, but I don't know. Yeah. Because, like, I think it's, like, £20 if you fly to London. And then £20 to fly back, so that's, like, £40. And mine was only, like, mine was, like, £88 for a return to London. But that's only because I have a rail card, so it would actually probably be more expensive. I'm going to visit some friends in Exeter in next month. And there's, like, five of us travelling from, from Scotland. And everyone else is flying. And I was like, I just can't do it. I just, like, I'm not willing to. But then I'm paying, like, basically £150 more than everyone else to get there because I'm getting the train. Yeah. Like, and that's, like, that's so stupid. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, cool, I'll just, I'm not going to, like, my... Like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just have less money when we're there. And I'm going to save a bit more in it, like, lead up to it. Because that feels important. But, like, it shouldn't be... It shouldn't be more expensive to do the thing that's... Like, flying just shouldn't be that cheap. Like, it just is, like, wrong. Trains shouldn't be that expensive. But, like... Like, it, we sh- they should be, like, a tax on the fact that it's really damaging. Yeah. I really hope that if we had this conversation in five years, you'd be like, remember that that was mad because that's not going to be the situation anymore. To go over and see Megan in Ireland. Uh-huh. Um, so, and I'm like, how could I do that in a way that's not, um, that's not flying? And really the only other option is to go down to Stranraer and get the ferry. The, the ferry is totally grand. Yeah. It's just that it's so far down the country. Mm-hmm. And it's not, um, like, in terms of where I am. Yeah. It's just the absolute opposite end of the country. Basically two days to get there and two days back. And if it's a two-day trip, then that turns it into a week. Yeah. So, and I don't have a week. <laughs> So I'm like, well, how can I do that? And then you balance it up. It's like, well, how important is it as a trip? And it's and it's it was Megan's fortieth birthday, uh, just there, and she's also just had a baby. Like when we just don't see people, then that's maybe the that is maybe what we have to do. At the moment, we have a choice. A lot of people are like, no, there's no choice. We should not be, we should not be doing this kind of travel. Um, whereas other people are like, well, we're not there yet. Yeah. The old travel of that sort should be should be banned. So that's I think that's part of it is because there is the choice. It's like, oh, it'd just be yeah, nice to see her in person, I suppose. Because I was thinking that even you know you could set up a kind of Skype evening. Yeah. Sit and have you know the chats and things like that. So, but it's not. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Even a ferry from Glasgow, you know? Uh-huh. And there used to be a ferry from Glasgow. Yeah. 
it was stopped. That would be totally doable. Maybe I should campaign for that. Yeah. But a sailboat, that's even cleaner, isn't it? Canoe. Just canoe. (laughs) (laughs) I can canoe from here, actually. Did I talk to you about my current catchphrase that I'm trying to have more awareness of? They're like, do less, do it slower. You didn't. Tell me more about that. That, that, It's just that. Do less, do it slower. So just, just that. I mean, I think also you could add on do it better, but I don't think you need to say that because I think inherently if you do less things and you do them slower, probably will be better. I like it. Yeah. It sounds quite less. It sounds quite negative, but I think um, it, it isn't. I think it's a really positive thing. I think it's sort of, yeah, let's stop celebrating being busy and start enjoying what we're doing. Yeah. Some days I find that easier than others. Yeah, absolutely. I love being busy. Being busy is one of my top things that I do. I'm really busy. I love being busy. But also, make yourself busy with things that are not just, like, about, like, churning things out. So I'll maybe see you at a local campsite or a cool family holiday that we can all do by train. All suggestions welcome. And I'll be looking to work locally virtually, simply and meaningfully. We're all going to improve our cycling confidence in my family and I think we need to talk and think more about this. The next episode is slick. It's all about oil, power, carbon capture. I hope you can join us. I mean, I was fracking oil wells in the middle of the North Sea in the early 80s. Wanna change the world, you can't stand by. Just you know Thank you to all my clients. In this episode, we heard Aaron, Michael, Derek, Julia, Geraldine, Anne, Pab, Alex, Kenneth, Alistair, Heather, George, Emily, Hugh, and I'm Hazel. And thank you for listening. This is an independent production by which, I mean, I'm a mum and I'm literally making this in my bedroom. The only support I have is that of my mum looking after the kids and my husband who's putting up with me going on and on about it. So if you enjoyed the podcast and you can tell your friends, there's a link to it on social media and you can leave me a nice review. That would be amazing. Climate Podcast. That was good.